This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome, everybody, to show number 42. This is Alex Goff with Rugby Magazine and RugbyMag.com. And as usual, I am joined by, uh, well, the man who makes everything happen, puts the passion into it, uh, and that, that would be Bruce McLean. How you doing, Bruce? I'm great, Alex. I tell you, I'm cold. And for a guy like me who's as fat as I am, it's very difficult to get cold. I'm like a woolly mammoth, been around for 30 million years, survived everything, but this cold is rough. I, I will not woolly so much as, you know. Oh, like... I'm woolly. I'm woolly. Believe me, it's not this. I, I, I'm I really surprised that my name doesn't end in a pronounceable vowel and that I was Italian. Honestly, I'm, I'm very, very woolly and very, very hairy. I am, I'm, I'm probably a generation or two off the vine. Uh, well, that's 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 a great show right there. Is that, that's... <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, uh, we do have a terrific show coming up, and 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 we have a terrific guest. We have the uh, the other half of the men's national team coaching um, the. The Olympic Olympic rugby, because that's what we're going to call it from now on. I'm calling it Olympic rugby. So we have the Olympic rugby men's national team coach with us. And it would be awesome if you introduced them and started the questions, my friend. Well, sure. We, we have uh, USA 7's national team coach Al Caravelli back from South Africa and Dubai. And Al, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alex. And thank you, Bruce. And by the way, Bruce, that is exactly how I am calling it from now on as well. I don't call it anymore Rugby Sevens. I call it the Olympic Rugby, or Rugby, the Olympic version. It's the only way, I mean, it's the only way that we're really going to get people to understand. I mean, it's just, uh, and it's fine. And I think that it's perfect because the American public, outside of the rugby community, they they need to understand that there are two different versions and that there is an Olympic version and that there is a, a regular version, very similar to the Ironman. There's an Ironman that takes 13 or 14 hours, and there's an Olympic version. And there's not, you know, and both of them are different. They require different athletic skills, and but they're terrific. And 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 nobody discounts the Ironman for real, and nobody discounts the Olympic Ironman. At the medal, the medal is the medal, and it's just a different event, and that's fine. I think it's great. Absolutely. Well, yeah, nomenclature is, is important. I think I, I think that's a great idea. And as long as people don't, I mean, it is in the Olympics, so you can call it Olympic rugby. I don't see why that would be a problem. Well, Al, welcome to the show. Great to have you here to talk about sevens rugby or Olympic rugby, either one. We have you back from Dubai and George, and we want to talk a little bit about how that went. But I was in, in getting ready for the show. I was looking back on on when you started coaching the national team, which was back in 2006. And looking at the record from those three tournaments, because the USA only got to play in three tournaments in that 06-07 season, uh, the team was 2-12-1. And, and, uh, and actually, it just sort of you, you actually ended a very long losing streak. And then uh, the next year, the team was 5-10. And, and then the next year, 14-18-1. And then we can also track how the IRB points went from earning none and none up to earning a few to coming into uh, top 10 last year and, and already earning some points in this last tournament. So uh, first of all, comment on how the, how the program has come forward in the last uh, four or five years. Well, I, I think we've all grown and we've all learned. Um, when I first took over the squad, I think that we all had a, a little complacency, if you will, that a lot of the, the athletes that were on the squad were just happy to be Eagles. Um, and like you said, it was a long losing streak. I think we had gone something uh, like uh, 33, oh, uh, one in 33 in Wellington or, or two maybe in the last five years before, um, before 2007. So we had kind of like an attitude of, we can't beat anybody. Um, so let's just, you know, go through the motions. And I think we, we changed that mindset fairly quickly. And instead of thinking, well, you know, how are we going to knock this team off or that team? I think we started looking at fundamentals and, and putting things together in little building blocks, uh, addressing those, um, so that we felt good about what we were able to produce. Um, and also I learned a lot as, as a coach, um, because what I started to look at is saying, you know, let's say I had a pool like England, Wales and Cook Islands. The attitude I used to have was, well, there's no way I'm going to beat England. 
uh, let me shoot like crazy to beat Wales and then Cook Islands, and hopefully I can go two and one and make the pool rounds or the quarterfinal rounds. Um, but you know the players aren't stupid, and other people aren't stupid either. They started to say, well, you know, if coach doesn't have confidence in us that we can beat England, geez, we probably can't. And so that was a mind shift that that I took that I said, you know what, that's true. We got to go out there and put the best foot forward every time, put our best put our best team every time, no matter who it's against. Um, and when we finally took that approach, we started to get some big scalps. Well, you know, it's, that's an interesting development through the team because I've seen some of the players you know, embrace that. And the the language they use is is different. You know, they're 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 frustrated when they they lose big to Fiji. They 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 don't shrug it off and say, "Oh well, Fiji's better than us." They're they're angry about it. But is that is that a learning process that has to go through with the with the younger and the newer players? Do you have to get them to think on that same same wavelength? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a learning curve, but it's an attitude. Um, and for example, the, the people don't remember that much what we did in 2006 or five or four. You know, people look at exactly what you're doing now. And even the, the new players that we had go to Dubai and George, you know, they expect to win every game they set out to play. There's no question in their mind. So I don't think it's a learning. I think it's a it's a it's a mind. It's an attitude where they go out and they look at Fiji and say, well, we lost to them because we turned over the ball too darn more. Yeah, way too much. We can't do that. And, uh, you know, we missed two or three tackles. They scored two or three tries from that. That's got to stop. And it's an, it's an attitude and a belief that they have. And that stemmed all from the foundation that the guys before them, um, you know, built. It, we had uh, one of our... Um, our former Eagles, uh, Eagle Sevens players, uh, Pocky Dolan Stanford um, in George, and, and I had him over at the Jersey presentation. And, you know, he made a nice little talk to the to the players telling them that, you know, you don't know what it's like to go, you know, 0-5 in three straight tournaments or four straight tournaments. I said, you know, he said that it's a joy watching you guys uh, play and, and the attitude that you guys have. I mean, not to take anything away from guys in 2006 or before, but the majority of those guys probably w- wouldn't even make our squad now. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because the players continue to raise the bar. They're faster, but, they're stronger, and they're more skillful. No, I, I, and I, I think they're showing it. Uh, you know, it's interesting that the last two um, weekends, you know, in Dubai, you, you went from having a a tough time winning any games at all to making the cup round. So you, you earned six IRB points, which is something you've never done in Dubai before and, and started the season in the rankings. The, the, the following week, uh, what was it? One and four, uh, shield semifinals, not as good. And, um, I got a couple of questions on that, but I, you know, the, my, my, my comment, I guess, is the fact that a year ago you were two and eight and had no IRB points. We were talking about, well, what's wrong? This time around, three and seven, it's only one win better, but you've already got those points, I guess. So doing well in these tournaments is about placing that win in the right spot. And in Dubai, you did place that win in the right spot. And in Georgia, you didn't, which was the game against Samoa that you lost by two points. And then the next day, you lost two other games by two points. So it seems to me that it's so close that there's there's such a fine line of error between what you could call a successful tournament and what you could call a not successful tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you look at Dubai, again, we were, as you said, quarterfinalists in the cup round. We can't go and being a quarterfinal team to then being a semifinal of the Shield loser. We, we can't do that. So the, the players have all embraced, agreed. I've agreed. The players are owning it that we need to strive for consistency. We know we can play. Um, we know we can do things well, but we have to be consistent. And, and it needs to be consistent from game to game. It can't be, you know, we get to the 
cup final one tournament and uh, we don't get any points anymore. So, you know, last year we got points only in three tournaments. We got to one cup final, two quarter or a bowl and a quarterfinal in Hong Kong. In two of those tournaments, we, you know, never in the modern era, we never got into the uh, cup rounds in Hong Kong, never got into a cup final. But I'm telling the guys, I'd rather have you win every single bowl than get to a cup final because at least you're consistent. And I know, I know there's something that, you know, you've reached that ceiling, if you will. Uh, and then once we do that, we'll look to how we can better that instead of making one cup final and not getting points in any other tournament. So one of our themes this year and things that we're striving for are playing consistent, eliminating some of the mistakes that we've identified in the last two tournaments. Um, the good thing is we know that they are addressable. We know that we can overcome them. And if we do, uh, you know, we're setting our sights to, to uh, be in the quarterfinals if we can do these things well um in more than just one tournament but we want to string them together and then how, how do you get that consistency well by uh by playing in a consistent fashion and and that means that we uh we have to play a solid defense making sure that our wall is in uh, uh is is in a solid state so we have a little theme that that we're going by to see if we can prove that we're really as fast as we think we are. We want teams to beat us around the ends. We don't want to give up any kick, uh, any breaks in the middle of our defensive line. So let's force teams to go wide on us. And when the when we do, you're going to be one-on-one -on -one with a, uh, with a fast guy. You got to make that tackle. So that that's where it starts. And, you know, if you look back at the games in George, our defense didn't let us down in the Samoa game, nor uh, uh, nor the French game that we lost in the last 10 seconds of the game, nor in the Zimbabwe game. Where we lost those games was we turned over the ball on attack. And then our defense, of course, was displaced, not in order, and those teams took advantage and scored on us. Well, the... That's the, the playing the consistency within the game. And what about the consistency within the, the team? And we've talked about it quite a bit in terms of, you know, the, the player turnover and some of that you've been forced into. And, and I, I also was interested in the, the turnover of leadership and, and captains. Uh, Matt Hawkins is a captain, is the captain this year, and he's a, he's a great captain, uh, a great leader. And he's been a stalwart for the team, but you've 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 sort of been forced to change captains because of players being injured or players getting overseas contracts, things like that. So, and and the same the same situation with um, with your 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 players in general. Um, and and how difficult is it to maintain consistency of approach and consistency of play when you've got the inconsistency of player availability? That's a Alex, that's a great question. Um, we know that you know, South Africa won the series two years ago, and they used a total of 15 players. Samoa won the series last year. They, I think, used 14 players. Uh, our first year as a core team on the circuit, we went through 38 players. Last year, we went through 28. Unfortunately, wow. that's something that we face in America. You know, we're not full-time uh, the team's not full time right now. So guys have to juggle, you know, work, family, school, um, coaching staff has to do the same thing. So, yeah, that's something that we're going to have to come up against. Now, my goal this year is to have less than 21 players. If we have less than 21 players, it is of my opinion that we will finish in the top eight. You know, we finished 10th last year. We want to be in the top eight. As you said, having that, that core group of guys that I'm very comfortable with, the more we can play together, the better we're just going to be. Um, you know, last year, um, we weren't able to go to a tune-up tournament. This one, we weren't either. So we were the only team at both tournaments that didn't go to a single tournament prior to this. So as a coach, I didn't know really who my best seven were. 
Um, and, you know, we went through the learning process on that. Um, and then also I need to know who my impact guys are. Cause I don't want to have subs that, you know, you're cringing saying, oh gosh, you know, this guy's tired. Now I got to put him in. I, I don't want to do that. Uh, we want to put guys in that are impact players. That's what we want. So, um, now I, I got a good handle on who those guys are. Um, we got to round out the rest of the team, the rest of the squad. So that will be a good challenge for everybody leading up to Wellington and, uh, and Las Vegas. Uh, you know, a couple of things we just can't cry over. You know, we, the fact is we have to deal with what we deal with in the United States. And the fact is we didn't have any tune-up tournaments. We probably won't this year. So you have to work even harder uh, as a team, a st coaching staff, to prepare these athletes to be successful. Al, yes, I am here, folks. I didn't leave. We're happy. Uh, I'm sure you are. Uh, Al, one of the things that we had, we had spoken about in a previous conversation is that you want to consistently beat the top six teams, uh, the primary teams of, of your – how are you going to go about that? What is the plan to get from where we are now to defeating the top six teams. There's got to be a vision. What's your vision? Uh, that's a very good question. And, you know, this game of sevens is a very simple, uh, non-complicated game. It's a lot of fun. So we believe that we've implemented a game plan that no matter who we play against, if we follow it, we will knock off those top six teams or top eight teams and take some of their spots. And to, to answer your question specifically, you know, we have to have uh, that defensive attitude that uh, I'm looking for guys who are willing to make that tackle to bring that attitude that he wants to smash the guy in front of him. Um, one of the principles of defense are, you know, regaining possession, denying the opposition that possession, regaining it back. And so that's the attitude that we have to have. So that's that's the first piece. And then when we do have the ball, um, it's playing with patience. And we talked about you know, controlling the 50-50s, working in tight groups of three. So whenever one of our guys makes a break to make sure that we have the guy sealing in the ruck and the halfback out there quickly so he can recycle ball. And when we say the halfback, it doesn't matter who that is. It's the third guy into the ruck. And then we can go off again. Um, you know, the game of sevens has changed a lot. So we don't use a pocket guy pulling out anymore. We want to go forward. And we implemented that last season very successfully. Um, and we want to do that again this year. So I think we got the makeup of the, of the big forwards to help us gain ground. And we're finding that ideal mix in the backs um, with power and speed. Yeah, that, that was actually interesting. I, I, um, I was going to ask you about if everybody needed to be a halfback, because if you're going to play like that, you kind of need everybody to be a halfback. But we'll get off that. Defense, one of the big things you just talked about. Tackling, do you tackle high or low? Countering, when do you counter and, and really try to counter for the ball? And the last part of that defensive thing is defensive line speed. When do you really blast them, or when do you kind of, when do you kind of play them a little softer? Those are great questions. So, I'll, I'll take the first one for the tackle. So we've lined lined up. Uh, you know, ideally, the perfect tackle uh, we designated. You know, when we do our sports analysis as a dominant tackle, and that is when a guy puts a, a body on ball tackle and jars jars the ball loose so that's uh that's the ideal tackle now realistically i don't have everybody that can do that you know we got you know, if a guy like pj Kamanyan or uh, nessie malifa uh or even shalom sunil are going up against matt hawkins or mark bakhoven or nuesi punimata taylor mulcate you know those guys outweigh them by you know 50 to 60 pounds so it's going to be pretty hard for them to make a high tackle. So for them, what we've told them is we want you to tackle low, get to your feet before the opposition, and work that tackle jackal. 
Um, for a bigger guy uh, like Miles Craigwell, he we had uh, eight dominant tackles uh, as a team in both tournaments. Miles had five of those. So he's the guy that, you know, we want him out there. Bachoven's another one that we want them to smash people high, tie up the ball so they can't offload it, and then deliver them to the ground. Um, you talked about counter-rucking. Now, we know that there's uh, most of the time in sevens, teams will play six guys in a line and one and one sweeper. If you think about it, when a ruck is produced, the opposition will have a minimum of, you know, the ball carrier that's tackled, he goes to ground. They'll have the sealer, the next guy coming over, and then you got their halfback. So that's three guys. If you don't counter that ruck, you'll have six guys on four. You should be able to double team one of those ball carriers behind the gain line and then go after them. That's, uh, that's what we want to do. So there, based on what we saw in Dubai and George, there's one guy, I won't mention his name, but we've told him, you're not the counter ruck. I don't care if you're going up against Minnie Mouse. You're not going <laughs> to counter ruck ever until we tell you. Because he counter rucked all day long in George against Samoa, didn't even slow the ball down, didn't counter ruck it at all. And all that he did was put pressure on his teammates because now we only had five guys in the line against four or five of them. So does that answer your question, Bruce? Absolutely. And now I want to go to the other side of the ball because in an all-fair conversation, we had discussed that turnovers are the reason that most of the points get scored on you. If you if you initiate something on defense, whether it be from a scrum line out or restart, you tend to be successful. Then what do you do on the offensive side of the ball to prevent turnovers in 50-50s? And the decision-making process in making a 50-50 into more of a 90-10. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, l let me tell you how we counter that before I jump on the attack side or the offensive side. We need to, uh, on our team, uh, everybody who plays defense, they need to make sure that their teammates trust them, that when you say, I got the guy, you're going to make that one-on-one -on -one tackle, no matter how big or how small you are or the ball carrier is then what else what everybody else does is they cut off the passing lanes in case you know we have one of our small guys tackling you know Fau saliva from samoa um or you know cracknell from uh from the uk or or, or rodwell some of the big guys they're going to be able to have their arms loose we're cutting off their passing lanes so getting back to your question on on the attack side what we want to do when we offload is we want to eliminate those 50-50s. So to answer your question, how do we take that 50-50 into an 80-20 or a 90-10? If, if, if you don't have control of the ball when you're in traffic or in contact, we don't want you to pass it. We'd rather have you take it to ground, you know, drive your legs as far as you can, take it to ground, and we'll ruck on you. And then we'll just recycle ball. And we'll do it again until we continue to gain ground. And that's where the patience of the game comes into play. We know that we have a team, the core group of guys, that can do that successfully. When we lose the ball is when we lose patience. You know, case in point in the Zimbabwe game, we took a ball from deep inside our 22, controlled the ball for about two and a half minutes, got inside Zimbabwe's five-meter line, and one of our guys was getting driven out. We wanted him to stay in and force his way in, but he flicked the pass at the last moment, picked off by Zimbabwe, and they went 95 meters for the try. You know, a 14-point turnaround. So we've told the guy, we, we showed it enough video that there's not a single 50-50 that works. So we want you only to offload or drop that pass when you have control of the ball, when you're seeing either your teammate's eyes or you or he's asking for the ball, 
and you have control over it. Now you can have control over it with one hand. And some of the things that we're trying to to go about is when you hit, you know, that half gap, you hit a, a defender's weak shoulder and you get around him, he's hanging on to you. If both hands are free, that's the easy one to offload. But if he's made the tackle and you're going to ground, don't offload in the air. You have time to hit the ground, bam, you hit with your shoulder, and the law book says you have time to either place the ball, pass the ball, or release the ball. And so that's when we want them to give either a little pop or, you know, go into a tight pipe position um, and we'll ruck on you. So that's how we're, we're hopefully going to go from 50-50s to 80-20s. Wow, that's terrific. And I do like the idea of cutting off the passing lanes and sometimes actually getting yourself further in and making sure you're marking that guy in case, you know, a pass can go past, you know, you kind of, you know, you got, you got to kind of read that, but that's, that's an important part of, of defense. And you were speaking about your big hitter, your, your dominant tackle guy, Miles Craigwell. And I wanted to get into Spearhead Rugby Academy. You have three gentlemen in Gerson Blaze and you have James Aldridge and Miles Craigwell. Has Spearhead helped them? They won his raw neophytes to one camp, and I remember they were all up at your house learning basics, then they went to camp. And then they went back, I don't know, a month and a half later, two months later. What was the progress? Uh, huge, huge progress, uh, Bruce. I think uh, you know, Miles, who, who made the squad to go on, there wasn't a single coach on the circuit uh, or commentator that could believe Miles first saw a rugby ball in June. His ball placement has got to be probably one of the best on the team. His athleticism, you know, is, is bar none, uh, and we knew about that. Uh, but he's his passing has gotten so much better. Um, like I said, he feels very comfortable with the with the ground game, meaning you know putting the ball back when he's on attack, rucking, and actually playing the halfback position as well. Um, and on defense, of course, he relishes that because, uh, you know, he loves to hit people. Um, you know, we don't want to see anybody hurt, uh, but he knocked out, you know, a guy in Dubai. The guy was out for three and a half minutes. They had to bring out the stretchers and so forth. And now everybody knows we got a major hitter. And he almost did the same thing. Uh, he jarred a guy, hit a guy so hard in the Zimbabwe game. Uh, the guy's mouthpiece went flying. He lost the ball, and the guy said he lost both of his contacts too. So, um, you know, Miles' improvement from uh, from June to now was huge. We could tell the improvements he made from our September camp to the selection camp for Dubai. Um, James Aldridge, um, he's become a very good scrummager, believe it or not, uh, for sevens. Uh, very powerful. Uh, his his passing has gotten better. Um, he's, he's just improving leaps and bounds, and that's because he's in a full time position. And and Garshan Blaze the same thing. Um, that just goes to show you how important it is that in America we have the athletic talent pool. We just need to get them in a full time environment so they could train at that. Um, again, in a full-time environment, and we'll see huge, huge strides. You know, I've, I've got a, there's a couple of things I wanted to say about that. One of them being that uh, what's also interesting about the guys at the Spearhead Academy is that they're all helping uh, the younger attend, attendees at the academy with, with their schoolwork because uh, Gershon and James and Miles um, – uh, Actually, I don't know where Gershon went to college, but uh, James went to Notre Dame and Miles went to Brown. So they're 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 helping those others with the academics, which I think is a, is a wonderful way for them to to sort of give back. I think Gershon's uh, accepting some of the help. Yeah, he's still <laughs> he's maybe he's still in school. Yeah, no, okay. he's only twenty years old. Okay, okay. So that's but uh, but I think that that's one you know uh, a great thing, and it's a great thing about the sport the way they 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 share that. But I think that what the players might be getting from someone like Miles is that there's a certain way, and I I don't know how you feel about this, Al, but there's a certain way that football players psych themselves up way, and the intensity that uh, a successful football player can bring to a game. Perhaps it's a bit you know, an intensity that you need to rein in a little bit. I don't know, but that intensity that's 
that's that's a good thing as long as you you can control it a little bit i i don't know if you're if miles brings a special kind of intensity to the team uh yeah he does you know i don't know it's very different um as you know football and and rugby um i don't have anybody who uh on the squad that that jumps up and down and you know this is our house under armor but uh, we don't have any of those guys um not that not that i you know that that's not good or bad but miles isn't that way either he, i haven't seen him prepare that way he, they, they, he you know he's focused he understands the game now and he's understanding it more every day um but i think he, he what he adds to the party um, is definitely, you know, being on a varsity program at a, at a university, uh, being with the Miami Dolphins, he brings that same professionalism that Leonard Peters brought, that it's not just um, how you play, but it's how you prepare and, and not how you prepare just before the game. You know, Miles spent a lot of time in camp and when we were in uh, Dubai and George watching video, uh, watching video of himself, video of the opposition, um, taking care of himself, um, recovering properly, all those little things um, that just become um, contagious for the rest of the team. And, and James has that same approach. I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just hearing that that Under Armour guy was actually got off a of murder. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> so, you know, he's he's excited about being free. So let's let's just let's just face that fact. Something tells me he's 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 going to take the career path of Mr. Simpson. So anyway, that all being said, I, I you know I I think that it's a quiet intensity that wins games, and I think that that's what you have. It's a focus on, and and this is something you had spoken about. It's a focus on the immediate task, staying in the moment, because rugby is really just a series of tasks, whether you have to win a line out and then get set to play the ball in the next phase and then play the ball in the next phase, either seal it or halfback it or run it, and then the other guys are getting set to move again, that type of thing. Can you talk us through that process that you're trying to get the guys to play in the moment and that's how important that is to your success uh very 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 good question so um i don't want uh and the team doesn't want to be thinking ahead to you know quarterfinals uh or thinking ahead you know to the two games that they got to win to 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 make it etc so what we're trying to say is that every game that we play let's truly take the attitude that it's a final you know, God forbid that an injury comes to one of the guys and they could never play again. So step out there and, and play every game as if it was a final. And when you're in, in the game, don't start looking at the scoreboard. Don't get desperate. Uh, you know, we're down by two points. We got to score quickly. You know, I ask the players at the end of a half or at the end, yeah, at the end of either half, first half or second half, do you have seven minutes to play the half and of course the answer is no if we have possession when the hooter goes how long do we have to score as long as we want you know there was a sequence in the uh, george game on uh, day one in south africa against namibia where it went four and a half minutes back and forth without a single stoppage after the hooter had already gone and we reviewed that that film and it was a great learning experience because we made about three or four line breaks and everybody on the team was waiting for that guy who made the line break to score instead of going in support like he usually does um so what we're trying to do to to focus on those short and little things is just play to what's in front of you. So, for example, when we kick off, all we want to do is break down that kickoff restart into exactly what it is. We want to regain possession or reclaim that possession. So all we want to want our jumper to do is worry about gaining possession. And then when we get that, you know, just worry about making that perfect pass to your teammate. 
And if your teammate makes a break, just support in groups of three. So, you know, it's like a chess game, but you're moving one time, one piece at a time. Sure, you want to look ahead a few moves, but it's got to be those immediate moves. You know, don't think about the end of the half. Don't think about the entire game because that's when we start to chase things and we don't want to chase things. One of the things that we talked about with Eddie O'Sullivan last week was if a pass is slightly behind the guy or a pass is not perfect where the guy's hit in stride, you can have a potential try taken away from you or at least a potential line break. That in sevens would seem to be even more critical. How important is the accuracy and what do you look for in accuracy of a pass? Uh, another good question. So what we have a little saying that we say pass for the man, not to the man. And as you said, in sevens, it's critical because if you make a, a pass slightly behind a guy, it's going to slow down his momentum, of course, and it gives a slight bit of time for the defense to slide across the field. Um, so that accuracy is critical. You know, we, we want pinpoint accuracy, and that's why we go over and over and over. If you watch our, our warm-ups and everything that we do, it's just passing and repetitive and repetitive and repetitive, right and left-handed, so guys can feel comfortable making those long passes. And, and you know, the, it, when for guys first come to camp, if a guy makes a you know, 15, 16-meter pass and it bounces, well, they first think that it's a, um, it's a bad pass. I tell them, no, it's not. That if it's a long pass like that and it bounces properly, it bounces right into the receiver's hands. And that's not an issue. There was a couple of clips from last year's Tri-Nations where New Zealand against, uh, sorry, Australia against South Africa um, stole a ball, they countered, and two of the passes were pretty long, about 20 meters. Both of them bounced. One was from Drew Mitchell and the other one was from Ghetto. Um, and beautiful bounces right into their wingers' hands all, uh, for the major breaks, and I think one was a try. So, And the, both of those guys were sevens guys. So, yeah, we try to pinpoint accuracy because our passes are really long. And I think in, if you look at the IRB site, one of the plays of the day, we had some you know, really nice passes that, that went, uh, went across the field after a second and third, third phase. And those were easy tries towards the end because all we had to do was walk them in. Well, Al, when we talk about uh, trying to match up with the top six teams, top five, top eight, trying to get consistently into the quarterfinals, uh, th there there are some obstacles to deal with as well. One of the things I noticed was that you know in the in the uh, IRB seven series last year, there were five teams that made every single quarterfinal. And there was a sixth team, England, that made every single quarterfinal except for one. So out of the 64 spots for a, a quarterfinal in in the eight tournaments, there are eight, eight quarterfinal spots in eight tournaments, that's 64, uh, 47 of them were already taken up by these top teams. So there are only 17 spots left open. So if you want to be a consistent quarterfinal team, you have to knock one of those other teams out, basically. You have to, South Africa, Australia, Fiji, whoever it is, you have to start getting to in a position where you put them in the bowl round. Uh, they ha And, and we, you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, the lack of a warm-up tournament. That's something that's, that all of these teams have is a warm-up tournament, and the USA hasn't had one in the last two years. And in, and in addition, something that I was thinking about was the idea that you, you have a team that's a younger squad uh, that doesn't, hasn't made the national team, maybe a bunch of young guys who go to three, four, five tournaments around the world, I don't know, you know uh, Amsterdam, places like that, and, and get some international experience before they get into the Eagles. Uh, those are all things. And how do you make up for all that stuff? Uh, the, the, how do you make up for the things that the <clears throat> those top six have that the USA doesn't have right now? Uh, so let me, let me um, I'll I'll uh, I'll start with uh, quarterfinals first, and then uh, talk to you a little bit about um, the ideal situation, how I would view it um, from uh, uh, what we'd like to see as as you said, you know, a developmental team, et cetera. Um, so. You said England made all but one quarterfinal. 
Do you know who knocked them out of that quarterfinal spot? The U.S. The USA, yeah. Uh, so there were two spots that we knocked Argentina out of. Those were our, th- that was us. So that's just the fact. We're going to have to knock off a top six team every time. That's the only way we're going to get into the quarterfinals. So, you know, our pool for New Zealand, it's not out yet, but if I calculated properly and based on, you know, the draw, we'll probably see England, Wales, and Cook Islands in our pool. We're going to have to knock off England and or Wales to go through. And the following week, we'll probably have, if my calculations are correct, we'll have Samoa, South Africa, and Canada. We're going to have to knock off Samoa or South Africa to go through. That's what we have to face. So, yeah, how do we do that? All the questions that Bruce asked and you asked uh, prior, we have to implement that game plan, make fewer mistakes than our competition. Um, And, of course, it all starts with belief. There's not a single guy on the squad right now um, that you'll see going to Wellington that doesn't believe that they could beat anybody on any given day. Because if they don't do that, you know, your biggest obstacle is yourself. If you feel that you can't beat somebody, you never will. Um, then the second part of your question is, you know, we don't have makeup uh, or tune-up tournaments. There's nothing I could do about that. So we have to plan smarter at our camps to try and simulate as best we can, um, putting them under, under that pressure environment to succeed. Um, you know, we're trying always a few things differently here and there to put them into environments, playing five five defenders on seven attackers. Uh, one thing that it does is, is it gets you used to, you know, if we're bad luck and get a yellow card, feeling comfortable that you could play with a man down. Uh, but it also makes us work even harder on defense. So when we get the other two guys back, you know, that's a huge shot in the arm. Um, what I'd love to see in uh in 2012 uh going forward is um is to have a developmental uh, i guess we, we could call it a developmental team um south africa to me has one of the best models out there so we know that the irb series has eight tournaments um south africa goes to, of course to all eight of those tournaments they have their developmental team called the vipers they go to eight tournaments as well so Paul True attends four of those eight. Now, he's the head coach for South Africa. Who coaches those other four are coaches that he's mentoring to become coaches um, and also, you know, indoctrinate them. I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not going anywhere. I love what I'm doing here. But I'd love to have um, a mentor program um, where I could do that as well. Because a guy like Blaze, Garshawn Blaze, or James Aldridge, Taylor Mokate, I would love to start putting them into that traveling environment, playing two hard days of rugby. That way, when they make the, the, the team on the circuit, because I'm sure they will, but it, I think it will accelerate their, uh, their path to the team quicker if they have that environment. Um, because it's shown success for Paul when he does that, for South Africa when they do that. So hopefully after, after 2012, um, we'll have a bit more funding. Um, or if any of the listeners are listening that uh, have some disposable cash out there that wants to fund the USA <laughs> Cougars, um, we can start to hap- make that happen a little bit sooner. Well, great. Uh, the we need to wrap it up relatively soon, but one of the things that's coming up is, uh, well, the, the, the next two tournaments for the USA is Wellington and, of course, Las Vegas. And Wellington was a big turnaround tournament, I think, for the USA last year. They won the Shield. No, no IRB points, but but a, a vastly improved performance. And, and then that moved on into winning the bowl in Vegas and then the cup final in Adelaide. And... Uh, Tell us a little bit about what it's like for the players and for you as a coach to play in front of a home crowd because the, the, the atmosphere in, in Vegas was, was pretty great. And I, and I think sometimes it's, it's a little bit 
there's some pressure on the players to perform uh, domestically, but at the same time, I think it could also lift them up. Uh, Alex, uh, I think it's the latter. Um, de- definitely it's pressure, and I think I've done a better job as a coach um, setting the expectations with the players. Uh, I remember the first time we played in San Diego um, where the first half against England, uh, we just didn't play well, you know, horribly. And the second half, we came back um, with three tries, but still lost that game. The second game against Australia was very similar. And prior to our last game against Kenny, you know, I brought the guys in and, and I said to them, you know, what's going on? You know, why are you guys uh, playing like you got leashes around your neck? You know, you're playing with a, like you, you guys are tense. And one of the guys you know, said to me, he said, Coach, you know, we're playing in front of family and friends. We don't want to make mistakes. And that was a revelation to me. And I, and, and I, I sympathized with them. I saw, I saw that the, in the way they were playing. So what I told them was, look, we all want to win. But I think what's even more important to the fans out there and our families and our friends is that you leave everything out there when you play. You truly show how big your heart is and how you're willing to play for those fans. And if you lose, but you've put everything out there and they can see that, they're gonna love you anyway. They're gonna come and support you. And you know, we went out and put 33 points on Kenya, who is a quality, quality team. And so that's what I go into with Vegas is I know that these guys have prepared as best they can, as hard as they can. And what I'm trying to tell them is you shouldn't have the pressure to perform at home. I know you're going to perform. Enjoy it. And if you look at it at the perspective of this, too, there's there's a total of 38 teams that play on the circuit, you know, with Hong Kong and and the uh, four teams that get invited to every um, uh, every tournament. There's only eight tournaments. So we're one of eight countries they get to play at home. Most of the people never have even seen um, international sevens outside the U.S. So for us to be able to play in front of a home crowd and get that crowd um, to uh, Vegas to get behind us is huge. It's definitely, you know, the eighth player or the 13th one, if you call our subs, it's really the shot in the arm that can propel our squad from a cup quarterfinal to a semi or from a semi to a final. Uh, We need their support. Um, It's interesting when I was leaving, I'm going to digress here a split split sec, but I got to tell you the story because I think it's, I I mentioned it to the players when I was leaving Las Vegas this past season. um, I ran into a guy that I had originally met in San Diego and this is a guy who'd never seen rugby before. He would just happen to be in San Diego on vacation from Chicago. And he said he was flipping through the newspaper and he went to the sevens at Petco Park because his hotel was around the corner and he fell in love with the sport. And, you know, I didn't see him the second year. The last year it was in San Diego. And I didn't, of course, see him during the Vegas tournament. But afterwards at the airport, uh, the guy asked me if I remembered him. I said, uh, yeah. And we started talking. He said, I've been to the USA Sevens now three years in a row. I now have 10 friends coming with me. It's like a mandatory outing for us. Uh, that, That's it, great. It's it, amazing. It, it, it's awesome. And, and if, if people tell their friends that don't know anything about Sevens and want to see the Olympic rugby version as it you know leads up to the Olympic, I personally, of course, I'm, I'm partial, but I think that this could be one of the greatest team sports to ever be played in the Olympics. And, and if we can get the American public to continue coming out to Vegas and supporting the team, I can almost promise you that we will get better every year and we can someday get you a cup final win. And it's not that far off. If the, when we can align those stars in the right way, play our game plan, we'll bring home some major hardware for the fans. They're like those guys, the Visa guys. They go to all the Super Bowls. Now they got the guys going all the USA 7s. 
going to watch you know, Olympic rugby. So it'd it, be pretty. Uh, it's it is pretty funny. Bruce, that's very. Uh, the, when this guy told me the story, he's not as old as those guys are. But when he told me the story, I was thinking, you know, if we're still in Vegas by 2016, this guy can uh, definitely do that Visa commercial. That's exactly the first thing I thought of. Well, I think I think that's great evidence that it, it it can produce converts, and everybody talks about sevens being being the, uh, a great sport for getting people interested in the sport uh, overall. Because um, you know the, the, there's so much to recommend it. Not only that the games are quick and you can learn a little bit, and then the game's over and you turn to someone and say, okay, so what just happened there? But also the international nature of it. And uh, you know what I love about the crowd in in Vegas is that. Everyone, there's so many people cheering for different nationalities, but at the same time, pretty much everybody's cheering for the United States as well. Uh, so there's there's a unity there, and I, you know I was lucky enough to go to the uh, the Winter Olympics twice, and uh, obviously as a spectator, and uh, it was you know that sort of thing where people people celebrated everyone else's patriotism. People celebrated everybody waving the flag for their country, which which is really it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to be in that environment. Um, it's not quite the same at an international 15s match because it's it's a little bit more us against them. Whereas here, it's pretty much there. So you know, if you're us against them at a at a IRB tournament, you're you're against 15 other groups. And that's, so that's a little bit different. Um, but it, that that's a great story and. Uh, Al Caravelli, uh, we really want to thank you very much for being on the show. It was really interesting on, on a technical side, but also an emotional side to learn about things. And uh, we really wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you very yeah. much, Alex. Yeah, and good luck, you, Alex. We, yeah, we'd, we'd like to hear from you. Um, like to hear from you. And one of the things that we'll probably want to talk about, and one of the things you'll probably work on in your camps is in the event of a turnover where you are a little bit fragmented that how do you get yourself back into shape and how do you get yourself to play defense and transition and what can we teach some of the listeners and 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 aspiring coaches and and current coaches out there as to how to get their transition defense sorted out because I'm sure that that's something although you want to eliminate the turnover they do happen so transition defense is going to be probably a critical point in, in your game since that's the only way teams score on you or has been in the, in the past two tournaments. Absolutely. We got a couple of ideas and I'd be glad to uh, share them with you after Wellington uh, if it worked or not. Yes, please share away. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Al, for being on the show. Thanks again to Bruce McLean for asking all those smart questions. And this is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com and Rugby Magazine telling you not to forget to go to the USA 7s in Las Vegas in February. Check out USA7s.com. Thanks a lot, Al. Thanks a lot, Bruce. This is Rugby Matrix America. Rugby Matrix America.